Go. Okay, that's good. Uh, let's pray and then we'll chatter just a little bit about a few things. Okay. Welcome to Advent 1. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he. Zechariah 9, 9. Almighty God and Lord, we beseech you, come to us with all your power and help us who are anxious and troubled. Send unto us the helper and the savior that he may enter into our hearts and with thy light illumine our night through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, welcome back to Advent 1. Now, Advent is uh, an interesting season because it's one of the earliest seasons uh, in terms of being celebrated, and it's also uh, one of the most flexible. Uh, there's, it started at different times. It was seven weeks long. It was nine weeks long. Uh, it has an early provenance. You know, it's a very, very long. It's been in the, you know, it's been in the church for easily 15, 1600 years. But what it was exactly uh, is always more difficult. Now, I think the vicar and I, both, uh, uh, the vicar and I, and, and, and then Pastor Gainig, you know, we, we sort of talk through the lectionary, and we, we, uh, we, we sort of say, uh, "Gosh, wouldn't it be better if we had, you know, got a little talk on Joseph and then uh, on Mary?" By the way, has anybody seen the Nativity movie yet? It's just out this weekend. I can't make any recommendation, although the stuff I've been reading it gets rave reviews. But I, you know, until we see it, we sort of can't can't say, but uh, it's actually supposed to be quite good, uh, but, but I, don't, I don't know, we'll have to see what happens. Anyway, so you have Advent uh, that comes early, but you do have this thing where, uh, as Pastor Gaining said in the sermon this morning, it's very much about Jesus taking flesh for a particular reason, that he can go to the cross, and with that cross comes joy. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting time in the church. Uh, a couple of things to, to just chatter about. Um, uh, you know, I wrote you a long missive on the front here, but just sort of, um, you know, time by time when we change things, this is on the front of the front of the bulletin for this week, you know, as most of the changes that you see are changes, um, not that are innovations, but rather things that have been restored. For example, the Lutheran, the liturgy that we're using now is the one that, if you're, you know, my age or older, that you grew up with from, from the Lutheran hymnal, but almost never was it done the way it was written, and the way it was done this morning at 745 is... Uh, very close, where you do have a pastor and an assisting minister. Uh, in reality, if you were here early, and if you were also at, were at Pastor Gaining's ordination, you remember that there was a, uh, an assisting minister, what would have been a deacon in the early church, who does do part of the service. Um, you know, that's from way back that, that that happened, and normally that person would be off the pastor's right shoulder. We don't have enough room here inside the rail to put somebody on your right shoulder. There's just no room to move. So we do sort of move them to the right at the horns of the altar. You know, sort of that's the best we can do with the local custom. But, um, you know, really this is what you've heard sort of is just a restoration of the TLH. And for you who grew up singing it, there's really no change. Now, um, you know, Pastor Gaining and, and the vicars that we had have really had great voices. Uh, and it's been nice to hear them be able to sing. And even at, the, at his ordination, uh, to hear the gospel chanted is really quite a spectacular thing. There's just a kindness in that. So, you know, we'll do that as we're able. Now, it really doesn't change, you know, what the congregation does. The congregation, in fact, um, a tradition always is if the pastor speaks, the congregation speaks. If the pastor sings, the congregation sings. Uh, almost nobody did that because they put, in the po- they put in the music, but they didn't teach pastors to chant. So what happened is the pastor would speak, and then the congregation would sing. That's probably how you grew up. But really, um, that is, wasn't even how the hymnal was written. So 
So often things that might, you might find as, as, gosh, what's that from? The answer is, you know, that was really the way it was written in the book and sort of bit by bit, you know, things come back. Now, uh, you remember at, at Pastor Ganey's ordination, there was uh, the Chausable then introduced. Uh, and, um, and now a moment of silence while we all say bad things about FedEx in our heads. Oh. So our Chausable's in Chicago somewhere, and we hope the FedEx employees enjoyed wearing it around this morning, because we didn't. <laughs> uh, Saturday delivery is the day before Sunday, not the day after. So uh, the Chaws will appear next week if all goes well, if it hasn't been lost. Uh, so it didn't, it didn't actually appear yesterday, which is too bad. But, um, so we didn't have a smooth transition. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and then we did have the question about, and, and Pastor Ganning tried to go uh, with this a little bit in the announcements, you know, from forever. Two things about the creed. Um, the creeds were actually written, we believe. Uh, you know, that, that's the oldest, the oldest text is we believe. That's how it came out of the councils. Uh, but from early on it was said, I believe. Now that leaves you with a bit of dissonance about whether you should be, and of course there's two ways of going about that. We believe is, we are a community, a body of Christ, and that's the way we do it. And I think LBW, the green hymnal, uh, that the, the cover, the hymnal with the green cover from, from uh, that the ELCA uses, I believe has we in it, does it not? I think it does. Um, and ours used, neither of those is wrong. The other, but, the, but the place where, you know, you really have to, and I talked about this at Joy Group, you really have to kind of wonder about it sometime. From forever, you know, the, the, the word in the creed was the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And I didn't actually re- realize this. I mean, it just so, is so interchangeable that I, at the ordination point, I said, you know, I ordain you into the one holy Catholic apostolic church. That's what's in the book. What's interesting is, is they didn't, we were just getting the new book. I mean, really in the last 10 days, two weeks, we just start, started to get them. So I said that, and then somebody asked about that because they put Catholic in the ordination vows or in the ordination service, but they didn't put Catholic in the creed, which is very strange. You would think, you know, we're all, you're smart people. You can tell the difference between a capital letter and a small letter. You know, capital letter means the Roman Catholic Church, but small letter C, Catholic, just means the universal church around the world, the body of Christ. You know, what people are, what Christians are doing in India today and, and what they're doing in, in Africa today and what they're doing in New Guinea today and what they're doing in Wheaton today is all the same. And that's all one holy Catholic apostolic church, although um, you have your limits. And so, you know, with chasuble and incense and, and all the other chanting, you know, how much can you bear before you break? Well... Uh, we'll just have to see. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the intention is not to irritate you, but really what happens is over the, over the years kind of innovations stack up and, you know, things happen and people, you know, and you, and you always pastor not only the congregation you've got, but you pastor the church body you've got. Um, and so you always have to kind of think it over and try to figure out which way to go and was what they did 50 year, years ago the right things. You, don't, you never change just to, to change. You know, unless that's what you're aiming at, you're just trying to kind of rankle people or kind of, you know, you don't change just to change. When you change, you always try to do a better thing. So, and you know, and I think you've, you've known this about me, I try to put in several changes at once so that the irritation factor goes away faster. You know, there's four or five things and you have to pay attention to them and then hopefully, you know, those things get assimilated. So um, that was the long bit here. Just any questions about any of that stuff? It is all, if you go back and look at your old hymnal that you got when you were confirmed, um, although now I can't remember. 
they, I think they didn't print the, the music for the pastor, but the pastor got a separate book that had it printed out for him. It was, it was more a space-saving thing. But I believe the new book, help me here, the new book has the pastor's music in, right? Yeah. And as I said before, last, last time I talked to you, I think there's no new liturgies. Um, it only just gathers up the four or five liturgies that we had been using for the last, gosh, it would have to be 50, 60 years now. So that, there shouldn't be anything torturous in that. Um, Presently, the notion is to, we're, we've bought the hymnal on computer, uh, on soft, in software, uh, so since we print our bulletins, presently the notion is that we'll, uh, you know, buy the new physical book itself when we move next door. You know, we just have to kind of talk about that and see, but I think that's kind of where things are going. Um, if you feel really strongly about that one way or the other, you can kind of let me know, that'd be all right. All right, anything else just about that? Everybody okay with all that kind of stuff? Questions about anything? All right. Uh, do remember, and I can't remember if we announced this this morning on the long list of announcements, but um, remember that Advent services start this week, yeah? So we, uh, you know, and there is dinner. Uh, Boston Market, I think, provides dinner this week. So, you know, that should be, that should be good. So I'll eat macaroni and cheese with all the kids. It'll be great. <laughs> all right. We'll have macaroni and cheese. It'll be good. So, you know, come on Wednesday night. Don't forget Wednesday. It's already Advent's on top of us and uh, not so many days till Christmas. Then um, I do need to put in one more pitch for this, and you are, uh, you know, you're the group who needs to hear it. Uh, you know, nothing succeeds like success. And so St. John is expecting 160 families, which is six or 700 people for Christmas sharing. That's a lot of people. And by the way, I think if you can speak Spanish or any other language, Ukrainian would be nice. We could use that. Chinese. Uh, if you can speak another language or even get by a bit, we could probably use you. Um, this is a lot of people coming. It's more than ever. You can still help. Thursday night is the setup. They'll probably send out for pizza, so, you know, and you help set up. And that's actually kind of fun. Um, uh, you, you put everything in place. And then, uh, you know, that happens Friday morning as well. And then the actual giving of the gifts comes on Friday night, Saturday morning, and Saturday afternoon. Uh, out here in this hallway, just around the corner, there is a bulletin board that has a lot of kind of acts of mercy things on it. And you can sign up there. That would be good. We always are short some things. Or we have families who say we particularly need some stuff. We're still short um, socks and underwear and um, some household goods like blankets Bed linens, dishes, pots, pans. I mean, this is, if you can kind of imagine your life without sheets, or you can imagine your life without pots and pans, those are the people that are coming to us, okay? And I just, this just doesn't take a rocket science to figure out what, scientists to figure out what we need to do here. So if you can imagine, you know, well, I wasn't going to say, can you imagine your life without underwear, but I think I'll pull that back, okay? <laughs> so just socks, if you can imagine without socks, perhaps, okay? I'll just ask you... Uh, Yeah, gent very gently used. Very, very gently used. Yeah, if you've redecorated and have, have stuff that can be washed up well. Yeah, they do. Those are always right off. The people come in and those things are gone immediately. Yeah, house furnishings. Lamps that still work, you know. Um, yeah, but just especially these things. So if you can do that, come on. All right. 
yeah, they can get set right on the table still Thursday and Friday, and they'll disappear, and frankly, even if you bring them again on Friday, they'll disappear again. Bonnie, you're going to say? Yes, I will. Socks and underwear, and I'm presuming that's from kids all the way through adults. Okay, so sort of anything you see. Um, household goods, and specifically this is blankets, bed linens, dishes, pots and pans. But I do know things like lamps do go quickly. Just kind of think of the most basic necessities of furnishing a house, okay? And if you've got that stuff along, please bring it along, okay? This is it, so this is the last chance. Yes, please, Judy. Sports equipment is great, too. Yeah, the student council will gather up spec- uh, uh, you gently use sports equipment. Uh, you know, everybody's got, you know, if your kids play soccer, they do anything, shoes, and da-da-da. Goes to the school office, right? You'll gather it up. Life will be good. Thanks to the student council for doing this. Very good, okay? Thank you, thank you. Okay, any questions just about anything else? Everybody okay? We're going to go this week. We're going to go next week. The week after that is um, new members. So if you could come to the new members reception and meet the new folks, and then um, you know a few weeks off for Christmas, and then we'll you know we'll be back at it in January. I don't exactly know the schedule, but we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, finally, this one. It should say seven on the top. Have you got this? Anybody need this? I'll give you one if you do. Thank you. We'll send one back. Can you help me? Will you send this? Can you hit people with this who haven't got it? Thank you so much. You know what? I think I'm going to start you with. Um, the now one bit. So if you can just turn to this meditation on the Eucharistic life. Uh, I, I think I... One other thing I wanted to say to you. Let me just say one other uh, structural thing about the church. <clears throat> you remember last week I spoke to you about how... Uh, this is true in your own family. You know, if, if you can imagine the church as a family... There's always people at different places in their lives. Um, but think about your children. You know, if you have a teenager and you have a six-year-old, you, you engage them in a very different way. You have different rules for them. You speak to them differently. They have different areas of responsibility, uh, different kindnesses, different bedtimes. There are things that are appropriate to each person. That appropriateness doesn't mean that you love one or the other more or less. It just simply means that you've engaged them at uh, the proper level. Now, uh, the church is like that too. And there's always um, a discussion in the church at what level you know, things should be carried on. Uh, and, and, and one of you was clever enough to sort of say, or after I had spoken last week, I sort of said to you, you know, I tried to give you the biblical justification for um, maturity and following those people who are mature in a congregation. And you can, that's an objective measurement, a fairly objective measurement, um, although it always takes human beings to sort of figure that out. But that's why you, sort of, you have, you know, not just pastors, but also staff and elders and governing board types. Um, the question was put to me this way, you know, things sort of run. Oh, well, let me, let me say the first thing. Then... Here, there's always this discussion about whether, where, where, at what level should the church should, 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 should run. And very often you will, you will hear people say, pastors say, congregations say, you sort of have to run your church at the lowest common denominator because um, then nobody gets left behind. Yeah, there's certainly one way to do it, but I just don't think it's the best way. I think you want to, to run your church at a much higher level. In fact, you want to run your church at the speed of 
your most mature members rather than the speed of your least mature members. Uh, just like in your own family, my guess is that if you're choosing, you, you should you know, be running your family at the level of the parents <laughs> rather than at the level of the 16-year-olds or at the four-year-olds. And when I was driving with a friend and suddenly there was a big stone median in the middle of the road in his neighborhood with a big tree in the middle. And I said, you know, don't people like have a few pops and bang into this thing all the time on their way home? He just turns to me and looks and he goes, it's all about the children. It's always all about the children. Now, he doesn't have children, so he's wholly un- unsympathetic to this. What they're trying to do is get people. But I'm thinking, you know, it's like parking a bulldozer in the middle of the road to get you to slow down. Well, I mean, yeah, I can get it in one sense, but in another sense, I wonder how many times people bash into that during the year. So here's the thing. The trick is, so then, then the question was asked, if you, run the thing at, uh, if you try to run things at the level of the most mature people, don't less mature people get left behind? The answer is, I hope not. You know, it's kind of like saying, we'll run, it at the, we'll run our family at the, at the age of our four-year-old so that no four-year-old is left behind, Right? Well, I don't think so. I don't think you're probably going to work on four-year-old hours and sleep on four years old, eat four-year-old food and insure for a four-year-old's interests. And, you know, you probably watch things that are always four-year-old appropriate and listen. You you just don't do that. What you do is you run things, hopefully, at the parental level with a great deal of empathy and, you know, observation and information flow, communication, but what you're actually trying to do is make your four-year-old into an adult at some point, you know? Um, that's the way your family works. And if it doesn't, I mean, one, one mark of dysfunctional family is that it always operates at the age of everybody being 13 years old. Okay? The church is like that, too. So the church needs to operate, all through scriptures, this is, this is the biblical way, the, the church needs to operate at the level of the hoary heads, of old men and old women, which is not chronological in scripture, you know, uh, not chronological in scripture. Old men and old women can be chronological, but it's primarily about spiritual maturity, it's about faithfulness. And I, and I know, you know, your, your kids whine, I know that. Don't your kids whine when you tell them they can't just have candy for dinner? When they're on their fourth Coca-Cola and it's 8 p.m., don't they whine when you take away the fifth one? Yeah, they do. You know, same way in the church. When you tend to tell people, no, we don't act like that, we don't talk like that, we don't do that, do they whine? Yeah, they whine. Because they don't understand. They don't have the maturity to grasp yet where things are going. And more than that, they don't have the ability to see out that if things are run in an immature fashion the outcome is not going to be very good. And that's the same in your own family. If you let your kids run the show, you know, pretty soon you are getting socks and underwear from you know, who knows where, and there is no food, and you know, things are, you know, that's how. Well, in the same way, the church works that way. Uh, parents try to pull kids up into maturity. In the church, mature people try to pull people up uh, from immaturity, move from milk to meat. That's what the scriptures say. You're meant to aspire to that. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is, as you know, is there's very objective measures for that. There's, the scripture is loaded with objective measures for that. How you talk, what you wear, 
whether you spend your time work, working or gossiping, that's a really interesting for Paul. He basically says, you know, tell these people to get jobs because they spend too much time standing around saying bad things. Okay, it's very interesting how he talks that way. You know, the scriptures are loaded. I've tried to boil it down to you, for you from the, book, from, the, from the book of Philippians where it says, do what's best and you can mark that by agape, by unselfish love, by obedience and maturity. So you just need a tagline in your head to figure things out. And then for specifics, you get people who really know the text and figure it out. So the bottom line is, you know, the, the, you know if I'm creating some angst for you in terms of suggesting how the community should live, good. Because what I'm trying to push, everybody, including myself, is for mature people to become more mature and immature people to become more mature. We're always supposed to get better. It's not about you and it's not about me. It is about doing better. And it's very clear what better means in the scripture. It really means words of witness, acts of mercy, and care of the soul done under the rubric of love, obedience, and maturity. It's very simple. And you should be able to say in 10 words what it is. And now we spin all the way back around something like Christmas sharing. Why is Christmas sharing so good? Because all of us people who have been all so blessed and who show up every Sunday and call ourselves Christians have a chance for six or 700 people to walk into our midst. We don't know them a lick. And we're just simply going to do it because Jesus said, as you know, we did this about four weeks ago, I am the Xenos, the stranger in your midst. And you do it to them and you do it to me. You want to find Christ? He's in your neighbor. That's where he is. And that should permeate your family life, your church life, your politics, your school life, your workplace life. That should be in all things. You have to sort out how that, how that looks. What does it mean to love Jesus, to mercy Jesus in your neighbor all round about? Okay, so you have to run a church. You have to run a church at the level of the maturity of the highest members. You have to run it that way. It's the only way you get better. Just like you have to run a family at the level of parents and not kids. You have to. There's just no other option because maturity is what Jesus bids us to. Okay, and that's not easy, but, the, but we know what it looks like. Okay, just questions about that? I just be, want to be one and clear. I'm not trying to make things exclusive. I'm trying to make things better for everybody. But I realize that people grow at different speeds. It's just like having your own kids. Okay? Grab this thing from now on. Um, we're at the um, Eucharistic life, where Eucharistic means grateful. Uh, and then we've moved. We're going to push from that. That's where we've been for a few weeks. We're going to push from that into what it means the body of Christ. But it is always a blessing, you know, when you find people who, are, who got there first. It's always best to be uh, the dumbest guy in the room. It's best, to be, it's best to be surrounded by people who will guide you and teach you. And now one is like that. You know, you have, you, you, I always think to myself, you know, I knew what was in this, but I wish, I'd have, I wish I'd have read this 20 years ago. I could have saved myself a lot of trouble. I mean, I came by it honestly, but it was, uh, I had to come by it faster. These are, uh, just so you know, two separate pages. So that you have the front page and the back page. When I flip over, it's not going to read through okay. But I just want to read through this with you. Um, and this is, this is actually point number one uh, on the... Uh, oh, this is great. Does somebody... Uh, oh, no, okay, I got it. I got it. Never mind. Uh, this is point number one on uh, Christ being present. By the way, uh, that was a brilliant little bit that I think, uh, did you run the thing from Eat This Book today? That was a brilliant little bit from 
Eugene Peterson in the margins today. Okay, so just, we'll, just, we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus joins us as we walk in sadness and explains the scriptures to us. There are just an awful lot of people in life who are sad. And that was interesting. You begin to go uh, to, the, to, the, to the Eucharist, to the rail. And one of the interesting things about being a pastor is you see the things that other people don't see. But one of the things that you all, I, I always begin to notice, um, especially about this time, is that for some, the, the holidays will be quite joyous, but for some, the holidays will be very sad. They're going to be very heavy. They've lost a friend, a spouse, a child, a job. Um, they've been pressed by something that is beyond what they can express. They have grief that has never been resolved from years past. And they come at a time when joy is the expectation and they don't feel it. And so, however out of step they were because they lost someone they loved, lost a job, lost a future, lost hope, lost a childhood, however unresolved that is, at a time when everybody else is elevating, uh, they feel pressed even by the joy of the person next to them. That could be a very heavy burden. Watch your friends at the holidays. Jesus joins us as we walk in sadness and explains the scriptures to us. But we do not know that it is Jesus. Or we could say, kids read the Bible when they go take religion 101 at the university. And they read the Bible next to Buddha, next to Confucius, next to pick somebody. And one's as good as another. And initially, Jesus is just another guy. We think of him as a stranger who knows less than we do of what is happening in our lives. Because after all, I'm the smartest guy in the room. And also, by the way, none of you know more about my life than I do. And by the way, you could never understand my pain, so don't try to tell me about it. And since I can internalize and individualize my pain and keep you at an arm's distance, then I can take pride in my pain. And I can use my pain as a way to block you and block community which is the problem in academia for the last 40 years with the culture of victimization. If things are always internal, they can't be examined. It's only when they're objective and external that one can see them, share them, and sort through them. Okay? We think of him as a stranger who knows less than we do about what's happening in our lives. And still... We know something. We sense something. We intuit something. Our hearts begin to burn. At the very moment that he is with us, we can't fully understand what is happening. This is the mystery of the sacraments. Uh, Someone whom I respect very much refuses to use the word mystery about the sacraments, but I actually think it's a valuable term, properly understood. Mystery in the sacraments does not mean it's about me and therefore subjective. Mystery in the sacraments means it's about Jesus. Therefore, it is both objective and far more than I could ever understand. So mystery is a valuable word because it allows us to hope beyond ourselves. If we can just be quiet long enough to consider the possibility that there may be somebody or something beyond us 
and that that somebody or something is gracious, there is then the possibility of hope, okay, even in the midst of your losses. At that very moment that he is with us, we can't fully understand what is happening. We can't speak about it to each other. Later, yes, later, when it's all over, we might be able to say, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? But when he walks with us, it is all too close for reflection. And that, you see, is why Christian meditation is classically about being full, and Eastern meditation is classically about being empty. There's a very stark difference. They are really, in this case, literally, as far as East is from West. It's not important for you, or if I can say this in the right way, it's not necessary for you to understand every last thing that happens to you every Sunday. But it is very important that you take that home and ponder it. That is the normal process of Christian meditation. You may not understand everything that Pastor Ganning says in the sermon for today, and you may violently disagree with some of it. You may discount him because of his youth or because he's new. You may have never heard it the way he said it and so suggest that he couldn't possibly be right. My suggestion to you is that you reserve judgment, not only on that, but on all things that happen, and ask yourself, from music to sacrament to liturgy to sermon, ask yourself whether there is the possibility that is beyond us that might become ours in reflection. Just consider the possibility. I'm trying to show you a way out. It is with this mysterious presence that the service of the word during each Eucharist wants to bring us in touch. And it is the same mysterious presence that is constantly revealed to us, and there it is, as we live our lives Eucharistically. In thanksgiving, with gratitude, toward the stranger, as a community, intentionally, as family, as body. The readings from the Old and New Testament and the homily that follows these readings are given to us to discern his presence as he walks with us in our sadness. This is the classic notion of the Psalms. You know, most of the Psalms at some point have this question, where in the world are you, God? Just where are you? I can't feel your presence. I can't discern it. I can't see it. Each day there are different readings. Each day there is a different word of explanation or exhortation. This is an argument from somebody who has the Mass every day, which would, in fact, change your life and mine. The question for us is not if we'd do it. I think that we would do it. The question is, would you come? Each day there are words to accompany, accompany us. We cannot live without words that come from God, words that pull us out of our sadness and lift us up. There it is, to a place from where we can discover what we are truly living. One of the, best, one of the things we're best at is self-deception. If there's any lesson that we're taught as we grow up, it's how to deceive ourselves and the people who are around us. We do not see ourselves well. If you have a friend, just one friend in your entire life, who can be honest with you, you've found a friend. It's very rare that we will hear honestly from somebody else. That's why you, you should seek people 
You, know, you, should, you shouldn't fear evaluation, critique, observation. You should seek people who would be kind enough to give it to you in a way that you can hear it and in a way that they hope to draw you into maturity. Right? It's important to know that although these words, read or spoken, are there to inform, instruct, or inspire us, that's the way they talk about it in a university class, their first significance, and this is the way we would talk about it in the church, is that they make Jesus himself present to us. On our journey, Jesus explains to us the passages that are about himself. Whether we read the book of Exodus, the Psalms, the prophets, or the Gospels, they are all there to make our hearts burn. The Eucharistic presence is, first of all, a presence through the word. And that is why it can never be word versus sacrament. People who hold up their Bibles high and have no use for, 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 for supper or, bi- or, 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 or uh, baptism have no idea what they're talking about. Okay, now the next thing. Just start at the period there. Often we scarcely pay attention to them. They become too familiar. These are the words of Scripture. We don't expect to be surprised or touched. That's right, you're all Lutherans, right? Why are you Lutheran? Because your parents were Lutheran. And their parents were Lutheran, and the ones before them were Lutheran. After all, that's the best kind of Lutheran, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Sometimes I think Lutherans who came by it honestly, who chose these problems, this mess, this lot, sometimes those, you know, we scarcely pay attention. It's too familiar. We don't expect to be surprised or touched. We argue about who will stay home and cook the turkey on Thanksgiving so they don't have to go to church. We listen to them as the same old story, whether read from a book or spoken from the pulpit. The tragedy is that the word then loses its sacramental quality. Where sacramental means, and I tried to preach on this for two months, sacred, material, and present. Sacrament means it's sacred, it's material, and it's present. Read uh, the two margin comments from Eugene Peterson this morning. He's got a new book called Eat This Book, which is about the concreteness of reading the scriptures. Now, nothing could be more concrete than reading your scriptures. This means it's sacred, and as a sacred word, it makes present what it indicates. Now, that should ring all your bells. We say that all the time. It does what it says. It gives what it promises. It creates what it expresses. It makes Jesus present. This is why classically Lutheran pastors don't pray in the pulpit. Regularly you'll go and you'll hear a pastor begin to pray in the pulpit. Oh Lord, send down your Holy Spirit. Open the minds of these hearers. Fill this book with your good word. Fill me with the Spirit. Lutherans classically do not do that. That is foreign to our tradition. Why? Because we believe it's already there. And it's already with you and Christ is already present by virtue of the word. If a pastor wanted to say anything, he should say something like, just don't let me get in the way. You know, don't let me ruin this or block this. Because Christ is here. In your whole life, Christ is here. It's not that Christ isn't here. Christ is here all the time. The problem is, is we flee him. We block him. We won't have him. We tell him he doesn't know what he's talking about. We leave him as a stranger. He couldn't possibly be right. He's only the second person of the Trinity. 
The tragedy is if the word then loses its sacramental quality. The word of God is sacramental. That means it's sacred. And as a sacred word, it makes present what it indicates. When Jesus spoke to the two sad travelers on the road and explained to them the words of Scripture that were there about himself, their hearts began to burn. That is to say, they experienced his presence. Speaking about himself, he became present to them. See, with his words, he gives himself. Is that what he's going to say? With his words, he did much more than simply make them think of him or instruct them about himself or inspire them with his memory. Through his words, he became really present to them. He gives himself. The way that you give yourself to people when you tell them that you love them or when you tell them thank you or when you're grateful and the way you take yourself away from someone when you speak harshly to them or gossip about them, or lie to them. These words are extraordinarily powerful, powerful things, extraordinarily powerful. This is what we mean by the sacramental quality of the word. The word creates what it expresses. The word of God is always sacramental. In the book of Genesis, we're told that God created the world. But in Hebrew, the word for speaking and creating are the same word. Isn't that cool? Literally translated, God spoke and light was. For God speaking is creating. This is my body. This is my blood. When the pastor says the verba, he doesn't say his own words. And if he says his own words, you should get up and walk out. That won't be a supper. And when he speaks the verba, he doesn't first speak to you. He speaks to the bread and speaks to the wine. That's why he marks it with the sign of the cross. He's talking to bread. He's a crazy man. You may listen in. But he, with the words, with Jesus' words, the thing becomes what it says. Bread body, blind what? Blood. For God speaking is creating. When we say that God's word is sacred, we mean that God's word is full of God's presence. On the, this, and here it is. This, is. this is community. Ready? On the road to Emmaus, Jesus became present through his word, and it was that presence that transformed Sadness to joy and mourning to dancing. I sinned at the end of the pastor's sermon this morning at 745. Uh, The sermon went something like this. Um, Here comes Jesus in flesh and blood. And the reason he's got flesh and blood is so they can put nails through it. And with the nails come cosmic joy. And then sort of I edged forward and I thought, oh, poor young man, this will be the end of him. Uh, Because he didn't didn't then give you the six steps to cosmic joy. And I thought, oh, his email box will be full in his very first week. But of course, uh, he was smarter than that. Uh, People complained then uh, about, well, the pastor didn't tell me just what to do. No, he didn't. What he gave you was a Jesus who can tell you just what to do. If you receive the Jesus in the flesh that was pierced with nails, then you receive the joy of that Jesus. This this is the point. You don't always have to sort it all out first. You don't have to think it all the way through first. And sometimes, believe it or not, the best part of your life just adds up to doing what you're told. by somebody who's way smarter than you are, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
On the road to Emmaus, Jesus became present through his word, just like he became present to you in the sacrament today. And it was that presence that transformed sadness to joy and mourning to dancing. That is what happens in every Eucharist. The word that is read and spoken wants, the word wants. You know what the word wants to do for you? The word wants to lead us into God's presence and transform our hearts and minds. Wants to do that by forgiving us. Wants to do that by leading us. Wants to do that by changing us, by loving us, by letting our hearts burn not only within ourselves and not only for Christ, but also the person sitting next to you. Often we think about the word as an exhortation to go out and change our lives. If only the pastor were to give us six more steps to a cosmic joy. That's because that's how we think. We think of the word as an exhortation. There wasn't any exhortation. He sort of just delivered the goods. Well, they'll be Jesus, and then they'll put him to death, and then he'll be in the Eucharist, and that'll be a joyful thing, so why don't you come and have some? Amen. But the full power of the word lies not in how we apply it to our lives after we've heard it, Hmm. Because after all, isn't this what church is all about? Church is about here so you can get better, right? That's a half-truth at best. The full power of the word lies not in how we apply it to our lives after we have heard it, but in its transforming power that does its divine work as we listen. Does this mean you can be a slug and not bring socks and underwear this week? No. What it means is if you've experienced your heart burning within you, uh, that Carol probably should be making an announcement that says something like, um, we have 700 people coming, but you've brought socks and underwear for 1,400, so please take some of this home. Okay. That's how the community is supposed to work. That's what the body of Christ is meant to be. Yes, and of course, then I haven't still gotten to the outline that I gave you, like, that's dated months ago. Uh, <laughs> But you gotta know all this going in, see? You gotta know all this going, this is where we're going. It's first the Jesus, then the Jesus things. You know, first the body and blood, then living for the body and blood and other people. First, the kind word from Jesus, then the kind word from others. Part of, I don't know if you realize what happens. Downstairs, I had to be stern with the pastors. And I, I probably, have, I did get a message this week where somebody said, I'd like, I'd like to offer a bit of higher criticism on what happened at, uh, at the, I think it'll be a friendly call, but one never knows. But I had to say, what happens often in an ordination is that guys start to talk about stuff. I knew your old man when we were college roommates. Uh, welcome to the circuit. We hope it went out. I was once at an ordination. This is no lie. I was once at an ordination where it took longer to introduce the band than to ordain the guy. Okay? So downstairs, I said two things. There will be two things that will happen at the point when you lay hands on there will be the dominical mandate. That is, there'll be the Lord's words about his ministry. And then, so we will read out the Lord's words to the congregation about what the man is here to do. And then we'll put hands on him and we will read into him words of scripture about that office and with the words, the spirit. And that's it because there's nothing more that you can do. See, then we just sort of let the words have a go at us. See, this is, this is sort of the trick of community. You know, if you want to be good at community, you tend to sacrament. If you want to be good at community, you come to Bible study. If you want to be good at community, have a good family, you say your prayers and have family devotions. You know, if you want to be good at community, 
You read your scriptures every day. Why, 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 why? The answer is the same every time. Because through those things, Christ makes himself present. Christ gives himself to you. You need to explain it. It's nice if you can. But does it need to be explained before it does any good for you? No, it'll be like friends arriving at Christmas. You know, think of your dearest friend who surprises you for Christmas. Think of the person you love most who arrives and with their presence changes your life. And they change your life well before they tell you about where their kids are going to college or you know which wine they brought or how long they're staying or whether or not they've retired and moved. What is most important is that they are there. And because they're there, you have everything and then something more for the future. That's the way the church works. Okay? That's the thing that we need here. All right, let's pray. We'll go one more time. I promise to get to this next week. You might read those texts about what it means to be the body, and you might, be able to, you might begin to think about the person who's sitting next to you, um, what it would mean to be in the same body with them, okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, 